Good evening. Goodbye Forever by Nakchang Rinpoche. Chapter 23, Part 2. Hung. The final hung is the self-arisen self primordial wisdom and the seed syllable of mind which possesses the five primordial wisdoms. Dilgo Kientse Rinpoche gave a series of teachings pertaining to the seven-line song of Padmasambhava and it took me years to unpack what he taught. I took copious notes and studied them each day. Dujim Rinpoche answered a great many questions that arose from the teachings I had received from Dilgo Kientse Rinpoche. And by the time I left Nepal, I felt as if I'd undergone a doctoral degree course in Vajrayana. My head often swam with the density of the teachings and I realised that I had to move beyond the intellect if I was ever to understand what I had been taught. To Dujum Rinpoche and Dilgo Kientse Rinpoche, these teachings were self-explanatory because they were speaking from the point of view of realisation. What they related to me was only difficult because I was having to grapple with intellect, where intellect was out of its depth. I realised that much of what I was being taught had to be seen as transmission. It occurred to me that this was material that would serve me later when I had the meditative experience to authentically comprehend what I had been taught. Nine days of travel back to MacLeod Gange with my notes allowed me to ferment in a vast carboy of Vajrayana terminology. I understood the words, but the meaning was sometimes hidden within them. Both Dujum Rinpoche and Dilgo Kientse Rinpoche had advised me to, to make the Seven Line Song one of my major practices and so I chanted it whenever I wasn't studying it and eventually I staggered out of the bus in MacLeod Gange, weary but whelmed with wonderment. I spent another month with Nakpa Yeshe Dorje and Kandro Tenzin Drolka. They were delighted to see me in Gurkha Changlo robes. They were delighted that Dujum Rinpoche had accepted me as a disciple and that he had given me so many teachings. Nakpa Yeshe Dorje told me that he could not help me with the Zogchen teaching because, as he put it, only Kyabje Dujan Rinpoche could teach on such a subject. He also told me that what I had studied at the Seven Line Song with Dilgo Kyentse Rinpoche was also beyond his scope. Nakpa Yeshe Dorje was a master of Mahayoga ritual and symbolic activity. So I settled gratefully to learn whatever I could of the practices of Troma I read the notes I had taken in Nepal every day and every day I sat. At Dujum Rimshe's advice, I continued with my practice of the shorter Dujum Tersa Nundro and then the longer Dujum Ter Nundro. And by the time I left India, I had completed 200,000 prostrations. I was painfully thin, 
yet muscular when I arrived home. My mother took a moment to recognise the figure standing, slightly baffled at the front door. I hadn't taken a front door key with me, so I'd rung the bell and stood there feeling almost as if I were a ghost come to haunt my previous home. I had no idea what I was going to say when the door opened. Ridiculous. Of course I knew what to say. Of course I knew how to be. It was all second nature. The door opened and I was simply who I was, with the mother I knew so well. My father looked from his desk and smiled his usual slight smile. Home is the sailor, home from sea, and the hunter, home from the hill. I almost replied, there and back again, a hobbit's holiday. But my father would not have understood the reference. A bizarre notion entered my mind. As I took in the scene before me, I simultaneously recollected my time in the Himalayas. The first notion that formed itself was of two movies running concurrently. I could be in either, alternately. The second aspect was more intricate. The only real scenes of the movie were the ones I was inhabiting in the moment. The movie I was not inhabiting merely ran on, just as scripted, including some vaporous version of me who acted according to the vague logic demanded by the story. This was not to demean the other characters in the movies, it was more a notion that undermined the concept of my own reality as a uniform continuum. The other characters were real, but I was a superimposition. The third aspect was that there was a state in which the movies came to an end. There was also a state before the movies had been made. This gave rise to the question, who I was when there was no movie and no script. That question was surprisingly easy to answer. Of course, there was no movie playing in the presence of Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche, not at any time. Those were times when I'd stepped sideways out of the movie. The memory of those times could, of course, easily become fictionalised by distance and converted into movies. But there'd always remain a sense of potency, of fundamental reality. Then the notion vanished and I had no notion of what had occurred in my mind. It did return later and was present from time to time, but at the moment there was just the voice of my father. Home is the sailor, home from sea, and the hunter, home from the hill. My father looked pleased to see me. The past vanished. I realised that I had no functional memory of an overbearing father. There I was, and there was the first sign of the world of literature I'd left behind. My father didn't quote a great deal, but I always enjoyed it when he did. I think he enjoyed it when I could not place the quote. He had to remind me, Robert Louis Stevenson.
Ah, yes, of course, I replied. It's been a long time since I've been called upon to quote English literature, but I shall enjoy familiarising myself. I heard the distant sound of Jimi Hendrix emanating from the bedroom. My brother Graham was busy with an essay. The track was Voodoo Child, Slight Return. The title made me smile. Slight Return. I was slight. I had returned. I'd once imagined I might be a hoodoo child back in the 1960s. At the age of 12, I'd sat at the crossroads in Runfold at midnight. I was waiting for Papa Legba, but that old African gin never appeared. I'd arrived home just before dinner. My father had cooked his own remarkable version of Welsh rarebit, which, apart from cheese, had little connection with Welsh rarebit. I was famished and ate more than I'd eaten in a long time. My father seemed to gain unusual pleasure from seeing me tucking in with such gusto and said, You don't miss the curries then? No, indeed not, Dad, I replied. I'd actually only eaten half a dozen curries in the entire extent of my stay in India, and one had been with the Indian Major on the train ride north to Pathankot. I'd tell my father about that meeting over the next few days. Whilst in India I'd always been with Tibetans, and had therefore eaten Tibetan food. But there was no need to upstage my father with such a statement. It occurred to me that I'd taken the first step into the life of dual identity. I was a little surprised that it was so easy to be who I had been before I left for India, and yet being the same was different. It was as if I had grown older whilst having time travelled to my childhood in respect of the presence of the white lady. I now had a name for her, Kyung Chen Aro Lingma. She had been my mother in my past life as Aro Yeshe. Kyabje Dujam Rimshe Jigdro Yeshe Dorje had made sense of those strange childhood dreams, and now all that was left was for me to fill in the pieces? No, there was no way of doing that. I couldn't simply will myself to remember. Maybe I'd have further dreams. Or maybe I'd have to wait until I saw Dudjam Rimshe again. He told me that I would probably have further dreams and remember more as time went on. The fact that I'd taken Gurkha Changlo vows was always with me. It affected everything I did or said. I had become careful, far more careful than I had ever been before, but also curiously carefree. The vicissitudes of life were vaguely like a pantomime. They were scenarios with which I had to engage with whatever earnestness seemed suitable to the occasion. It was possible to be earnestly light-hearted in the face of whatever came along. Something or someone had died and been reborn, but that seemed to be happening all the time.
the vocalist of the Savage Cabbage Blues Band seemed remote. He was there if I cast my mind back, but he was as real as my dreams of Tibet. I felt like a space that was inhabited by different persona dramatis. I wondered whether I could actually stand on a stage again and be the bluesman I was. I had been able to sing Hoochie Coochie Man for Dudjum Rinpoche, so anything was possible. Apart from the sense of bemusement, there was an inherent obligation to be kindly rather than indulgent whenever the choice lay before me. People were as they were and mostly could not help themselves. I had come to understand that I could and therefore should step outside the framework in which I had to take offence at anything. There was so much that I could not say or explain to anyone unless I went to see Lama Chime Rinpoche at Kham House. I had once asked Lama Chime Rinpoche to be my teacher, but he told me, This for you is too soon, too early, too quick. You should go to the Himalayas first. You meet different Lamas and hear teaching. If you don't find a Lama, come back to me and I will be your teacher but not before you have met other teachers. You must be sure you make the right choice. He had given the perfect advice and I'd made the right choice. It was probably stupid on my part, but it seemed as if it would be churlish to visit Lama Chime Rinpoche and say, I found my Tsawai Lama. Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche has accepted me as a student, but can I call round and bend your ear from time to time? Of course, Lama Chime Rinpoche would have been happy to talk with a student of Dujum Rinpoche, but I still had foolish ideas that prevented me from asking for support, where support would have been cheerfully forthcoming. I had been able to talk to Steve about my visions, and he'd neither treated me as if I had a mental condition or as if I was a poser. Now, however, I was on my own. There was great joy and colossal loneliness. I wordlessly contemplated the loneliness for an indeterminate period of time, after which I laughed almost imperceptibly. I felt unaccountably unassailable. I laughed briefly without irony, but with a naturally assured sense of merriment. The mirth had welled up out of a space that I seemed to know, and to have known for a thousand years. And that concludes volume one of Goodbye Forever by Nat Chang Rinpoche. Uh, watch this space and we shall make an announcement soon because we may be able to begin the reading of volume two. In the meantime, of course, you'll uh, be able to follow the link here and purchase yourself a copy of volume one. Uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Good night.